You're listening to a CNA podcast. Hello, it's me, Grace Yeo, your host for this special series, Wired Differently, where we discuss neurodiversity in the office. Fun fact, there is a meme where someone with ADHD shares a random bit of trivia and another person asks how they even have that knowledge. And then the ADHD person says, oh, they have an internet connection and poor regulation skills, which is a perfect description of my last two years having found out that I have ADHD. Basically, anytime I discover something new that I'm fascinated by, I just go all in. Moderation is not my forte. So over the last two years, I've dived down one rabbit hole after another, learning about various aspects of neurodiversity as a whole, including autism and dyslexia. And I thought I knew all there was to know until I met my guest for today. Chan Pueyan has dyslexia and ADHD. And while I'm familiar with each of those neurological differences, I've not met anyone with both, at least not that I know of. Not only was I curious about how her dyslexia and ADHD traits affect her at the same time, I think I was more fascinated by the fact that she holds a job with a heavy amount of reading and writing. Welcome, Puyan. Thank you so much for having me here today, Grace. Really happy for the chance to have a conversation like this with people like yourself who care so much about raising awareness for neurodiversity. I almost feel like people with ADHD have this like radar where we can just spot and click with another ADHD right away, don't you think? I think so too. But the thing is, when we first met, you did mention that I didn't look like I have ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> because you managed to keep your fidgets really well. <laughs> yeah, so the thing is exactly fidgeting and hyperactivity. I think that's maybe a conventional stereotype mm-hmm. yeah. of ADHD. Maybe my fidgeting and hyperactivity is all internalized. Mm-hmm. But let's get to you first. Tell me what it is that you do at work. I'm an AI ethicist for MSD. And in my role, I focus on embedding ethical and responsible AI principles and practices into policies and processes and technology. So I would assume that there is a lot of meeting with, say, stakeholders, a lot of reading and writing involved. Am I correct to assume that? Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I would say like maybe 90% of my work is reading and writing. Mm. Mm. Pardon my ignorance, but this next question is based off an assumption. I'm not sure if it's a misconception, but a a job with a lot of reading and writing doesn't sound very suitable for someone with dyslexia. Actually, okay, well, I guess I can't speak for all dyslexics, but speaking for at least myself, okay, to be completely honest, like maybe many years ago, I wouldn't have thought that I would have taken on a role that requires much large portion of reading and writing, especially like writing communications, writing policy documents, etc. But I think for me, the most important thing was what I do and what the role is about. It's about making sure AI is responsible and ethical and to get people to understand that technology needs to be inclusive and that society needs to be inclusive. We have to make the technology in society that way. We have to get people to understand why that's important Mm. and to get people to understand we have to communicate. And I guess as humans, we we tend to communicate through reading and writing. So in order to do what I want to do, I have to do this. I mean, it seems like a sense of purpose is necessary for you and your career, or at least that's what you're driven by. I would say that's a that's a great way to put it. Thank you so much for putting it that way. <laughs> what are the struggles would you say that you face though at work besides reading and writing? Ah, okay. So I have a bit of difficulty processing information. So it's like about symbol, like decoding and 
encoding. <laughs> so for example, let's say I'm looking at a piece of paper. I, I see some stuff on the paper, some black against some white. But to turn that into information, I have to recognize that this black versus white stuff, whatever's in front of me is text. Yep. And then that text are individual letters. And turning that to recognize that it is text and individual letters or numbers takes kind of a while for me. Mm. So that can cause me to be, be a bit slower when I'm reading or sometimes I will actually interpret. I will, I will see those symbols wrong and then I'll end up seeing a word that isn't the actual word that's on the paper. Or sometimes I will end up dropping a word or mm. adding a word. It can, can come off as like an understanding problem <laughs> because then like I've interpreted I've taken away something else that was originally written. Yeah. For example, if a, if someone says, don't do that, please, I might read, do that, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I might not realize it until later when I'm like, hmm, wait, something doesn't quite make sense. And then I go back and then I look really carefully and I'm like, oh, I, I saw that wrong. Yeah. Or sometimes I may not see it until somebody else tells me, they're like, hey, this doesn't make sense. What is mm-hmm. this? And I'm like, oh, again, I saw that wrong. <laughs> or I didn't see that at all. Like I could look at it like five times and I still might not be able to see it. Okay. Yeah. But all those things, at least to mitigate those kind of struggles, it seems like you need to factor in or buffer in a lot of extra time. Would you say that you, as a result, struggle with time management? I think that might come from ADHD as well. Yeah. (laughs) I think ADHDers are known to be maybe a bit... Time blind. Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say maybe a bit challenged with time management because we find something really cool or we get really focused on working on something. Mm. We can just go down that rabbit hole or go off on that tangent. And then suddenly someone's like, hey, how's that thing that I asked for two hours? And then you're like, wait what? It's been two hours already? (laughs) So dyslexia and ADHD together definitely causes me to maybe require more time to to do certain things. I would say I do need more time to read a document or to write something up just to, especially to proofread it, to make sure I didn't do my typical like drop a couple words. So proofreading Mm. will definitely take more time for me. Let's talk about reading and writing challenges first. Would you say these are your biggest struggles? I think like in terms of I'm not sure if that's the correct word, but maybe physical struggles for dyslexia. Reading is probably the biggest challenge. Writing is not as much of an issue for me, but I would actually say the biggest struggle with dyslexia and ADHD is other people's judgment or society's Mm -hmm. judgment of you or how they perceive the, the challenges you face. While working on a story with the Dyslexia Association of Singapore, I was told that many with dyslexia get diagnosed in the early years in primary school. So I want to go to your personal story. When did you know that you have dyslexia and how did you take that news? Ah, okay. So I was actually told I was dyslexic when I was pretty young. So this Mm -hmm. was back in like first or second grade. And it was spotted by my teachers and my school counselors. But my family didn't want to accept that. Mm. And so they were like, she just needs to study harder, like she needs a tutor, etc. The kind of the sad thing was I also internalized that and like took that with me as I, I got older. When I was like a young younger kid, I was like, no, teacher's not going to say I'm different. They're not going to tell mm. me that, you know, I can't do something. And then even through a high school, I was like, no, I'm just like everyone else. No, I want to be different. Yeah. And then even through university, I started to realize everyone can read yep. like 10 times faster. If a professor assigns two chapters in an engineering textbook, they take one hour to read it. It would mm. take me like maybe four. And I'd be like, how can anyone get through all of this reading? I think this reading was unreasonable. Yeah. But none of my peers felt that way. And mm. I could see that they finished and they could go off and do their own stuff. And then mm. that's when I started to realize maybe 
it's real. Like maybe it's I'm physically different in some way, and I can't help it. You would say that uni is probably the turning point when you realized, okay, I do need support. I can't continue to ignore my dyslexia anymore. <laughs> I think in university is when I started to realize I was different, but. Mm. In the end, I still never end up reaching out for help in university mm. itself. Like I never asked my professors for extra time. Did you know it was possible to ask? I did. I was just maybe too proud or too ashamed. Mm. I think both. Maybe shame and pride are the same <laughs> two sides of the same coin. That makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> and so, what was the turning point then? Since Uni is, I would assume, you were in your early twenties, having gone through your entire life, mm-hmm. two decades of not speaking up. What made you finally speak up and ask for help or support that you needed? So it was actually an experience in university that made me realize that something was very wrong with yep. society and how the dyslexia and neurodiverse individuals might be perceived. So I was applying for internships and jobs, and I encountered this AI hiring system. I submitted my resume, and I got an email back that said, you know, like my resume was accepted, but like before we could do an interview, please go through, please do this online test that was for culture fit. The assessment required like reading about scenarios and then answering questions that were related. To those scenarios, the instructions explicitly said you had to answer those questions as fast as you possibly can. So I did. I tried my best, and then I got rejected as not a cultural fit. I thought the situation was really unfair and discriminatory because the questions were, you know, I realized I could not have possibly answered the questions wrong. The questions were like, "Would you steal a chair from the office?" Like the answer is obviously no, right? Like who would answer yes? <laughs> But somehow it's not a cultural fit. So either they want people who steal chairs, or I answered them too slow. And I'm pretty sure no one wants someone who steals chairs. So I'm pretty sure it's because I answered it too slow. Oh. And it was. An automated system, and there was absolutely nobody that I could reach out to for help. And mm. that's when I started thinking, like, I have dyslexia and ADHD, but there was nobody I could get an accommodation from. And what about all the other people like me? There's got to be other people with similar struggles, or people you know who maybe they don't speak English as well. It's not their first language, or even if they have like a slow internet connection, what are they going to do? Are mm. they just going to be just denied jobs? And so that's when I realized like something was very wrong with how people might use. AI, and I felt like I needed to do something about it, and that's also when I started speaking up about it and mm. and owning, being like, no, I am dyslexic, I I do have ADHD, yeah. like, but that doesn't mean that I'm less of a person. <laughs> you know, I think that turning point, or rather, that turning point being the trigger, could possibly be related to having ADHD, because people with ADHD are known for having this extra strong sense of justice sensitivity. <laughs> or just feeling like things are not fair, and having this impulse to speak up. I don't know. <laughs> Poyan has this like look of enlightenment on her face right now. I know from my research that dyslexia and ADHD can overlap quite a bit in terms of strengths and struggles. There is our big picture thinking, um, being very good at pattern recognition, but also our executive dysfunction, whether it's time management or planning and prioritization. What were the signs that you had ADHD? Did you also realize or discover you were ADHD at the same time you realized you were dyslexic? Maybe it was around the similar time in my life, but what made me realize I had ADHD was actually when keeping organized 
got too much and I couldn't keep enough things in my working memory and I would like can't remember if I did something or not anymore. One of my first jobs, I was working in life sciences and doing experiments with cell cultures. And we had to put reagents in these tiny little 96 well plates and they all look the same. So whether you've put the reagent in it or not, yeah. you can barely tell because they're so small. And I would find that I kept making like systematic errors in my experiments because I had lost track of whether I had put the reagent in that well or not. <laughs> At first I was like, no, I, I, it's fine. I did it all. And then after a couple of times, I was like, wait, why do I keep getting these errors? And then I started thinking, wait, do I have like a memory problem? Do I have like dementia or something? Why can't I remember? <laughs> like, why do I keep making these mistakes? And then I started to realize a long, long time ago, again, my school counselors, they told me I had ADHD, but my parents were again like, no, she does not. She's just a kid. She just likes to run around. She just likes to do her own thing. Yeah. She doesn't have hyperactivity. She's not inattentive. And then yeah. that's when I was wait, how does ADHD manifest in adults? So I started to Google and mm -hmm. read about it. And then I realized all the things that I was kind of struggling with in, in this research yeah. <laughs> environment was because of executive functioning, keeping things in working memory and being maybe overwhelmed by lots of things that you could do. Yes. And that's when I was like, oh, it all makes sense now. <laughs> and then I still tried to come up with coping strategies mm. and stuff to do like work in the lab, using a pen to mark them, whether or not I've like dropped the chemicals in or not. Yeah. Um, but eventually I realized the organization of the keeping the stuff in, yeah. in my head was uh, too much and I did have to go get help for that. Hello, everyone. My name is Stephen Chia, and I'm host of CNA's weekly news podcast, Heart of the Matter. Each week, my job is to ask the questions you have, like why is the COE so high? Why aren't singles dating? Or what's going on with the red-hot property market in Singapore? If you want the views behind the news, then tune in each week as we get to the heart of the matter. We are on the CNA and Me Listen apps and wherever you get your podcasts. Hit follow or subscribe so you don't miss an episode when it drops. How have your challenges changed? Or rather, do you see a compounding effect of having both dyslexia and ADHD? I would say... As an adult, yeah, the problems kind of, or the challenges kind of shift. Yeah. So when you're in school, a lot of things are structured for you. Mm -hmm. Maybe organization or time management is not as big of a, a thing. It might not even surface and you might not even realize that that was a thing that you needed to deal with mm -hmm. because people tell you what your homework is and, and stuff. In the adult world, in the working world, you have emails coming in, like 300 emails come in a day in spread across 20 different email threads. You're managing relationships with different people. There's different mm -hmm. conversations going on. There's lots of stuff to track. ADHDers have challenges tracking and organizing yeah. lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> and then combined with dyslexia when you're reading, but a lot of communications are coming in, in the adult world are like texts and emails and they can definitely start to compound a little. Yeah, yeah. I would I say <laughs> the organization and time management aspects become more prevalent, like the paying attention, sticking with a program. I, I feel like those things aren't an issue for me as an yeah. adult, but yeah. it's the organization and keeping things visible and not losing sight of it. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's true. I mean, I was reading this research about how a lot of people who were not diagnosed with ADHD when they were young, it starts surfacing in university or in the workplace because then you're expected to be a lot more independent and then you're expected to organize your time and your schedules by yourself. And so that's when your struggles with ADHD start to show up, <laughs> which it did for me in university, but I didn't know it was ADHD at the time. Mm -hmm. So I just thought it was depression. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I just couldn't keep 
my stuff together. What are some coping strategies that you've devised?、Mm. Your best tool. My best tool at work is actually to make sure that people know、mm. and that they can give me. The time and the space and the understanding and the empathy、yeah. to not judge if I make a, a dyslexia or ADHD mistake.、Mm. Um, so that is my number one coping strategy: having my colleagues, you know, be understanding. And what's the other strategy? The other one is I use a lot of color when I write or when I'm drafting things. So I will write notes. Oh, and then like and writing notes to myself because that helps with the ADHD part, getting everything out of my head and onto a piece of paper, so the ideas can then become organized. Yeah. So I will put notes to myself within my drafts, and they'll be in all different colors. I might write a note about an idea that's floating around in my head, and they'll just be word salad or bullet points. Then I'll add comments in another color, or I'll be like, Hey, remember to put a citation here. Or remember to look up this part and expand on this part. So、yeah. I put little notes, like to-do notes,、yep. for myself in my drafts, and my ideas are also in my drafts. I think sometimes it's just the act of writing it out, which will stick it in our memory. <laughs> yeah. Aside from struggles, have you also realized that there were certain things you were naturally good at due to dyslexia or ADHD? And at work, how do you bring these strengths to the table? <laughs> so my friends and family have always told me I was like really. Creative, and、mm. they say that I can spot like patterns or connections in in places where other people don't. And、yep. for a long time, I thought this was like pretty normal. I thought like everyone was creative, everyone liked to make art, and everyone saw all these little connections, like how these things are related. But yeah, I started to realize that this wasn't actually that common. And at work, I think it helps me a lot because in my role, I analyze, I evaluate AI systems for. Risks, and then we propose mitigation. So, to look for risks, you have to look at the idea from the problem、mm. or the situation from many different angles, and consider how things could possibly go wrong.、Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that's where spotting unusual connections or possibilities really comes into play. Yeah, actually, yeah. that would really harness your strengths very well. <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> yeah. Just now, you mentioned about how one of your Main coping strategies is just to get people to understand, and I think in many of the conversations I've had with other neurodivergent individuals, the common thread is that no amount of tangible strategy, say like post-it notes or whatever AI tools you might have, nothing can replace having a really good support system or a really good boss at work, essentially, and. I'm guessing that you have a good work environment because we actually met after your colleague told me that I could speak to you if I wanted to explore a story on adults with dyslexia, and I thought that was just so refreshing and such an open work environment that your neurological differences were not hidden or that you could just openly talk about、mm-hmm. that. I just want to know more about your workplace relationships with your、mm-hmm. colleagues and bosses, and how did you even? Get to this stage where you feel comfortable enough to talk about these struggles with them. I completely agree, and I, I feel that I'm really, really fortunate. I'm like so happy to have、mm. such a great and such a understanding 
manager and yeah. coworkers. They're awesome people. And I think it's also related to our workplace like culture. So our workplace places like a lot of value on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm. And we recognize that we each have strengths. We have differences and that all our experiences, they're all valuable and mm. they are things to be respected. So sometimes I need more time or sometimes I make writing errors. And my, my colleagues have all been super understanding. They don't judge. They don't blame. And actually, a lot of them are curious. Maybe like earlier this week, I had two of my colleagues come and be like, hey, I, I heard you were dyslexic. Tell me more about what it's like. I'm really curious. I want to know what it's like for people with this condition because I've heard about it. I've read about it. So is it like you can't read or like how do you how do you get through life? Is it hard? I share with them and I give them examples and they're like, wow, that's really cool. That sounds like it's difficult. And but both of them said, they're like, wait, and you wrote the AI policy and you write all of this other guidance documents and stuff. And yeah. like, like how? And I was just like, <laughs> um, a lot of, I guess, proofreading, a lot of proofreading. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot and a lot of proofreading yeah. and a lot of passion. I know some people would be a bit put off by such questions. They might think, oh, it's ignorant. But I think the intention really matters. So I find that if you're genuinely curious, even if you ask the question in a seemingly ignorant way, for me, I wouldn't get offended because I feel like you're asking just out of curiosity mm -hmm. and you're willing to learn, you're willing to be corrected, even if we tell you that, oh, that's not very nice to say that or other people might take offense. But yeah, I think it's really just about asking questions and being open to to learn. I, I completely agree with you. I don't take offense if people ask questions out of genuine curiosity, even if they have like misunderstandings or it's a stereotype. Mm. I think the fact that they're even asking to to want to know more is, is already so refreshing to me that I would not blame anyone for saying like, hey, I heard dyslexia is a no so-and-so. It, it's totally fine to me. It's just their curiosity and their interest yeah. is already like, you know, like it means a lot. Yeah. I think it's amazing that you have such a workplace culture, but I think also part of why you're able to maybe adapt so well to it or kind of respond so well to those kind of questions is also because you've reached some level of self-acceptance that you're okay and willing to share about your dyslexia and ADHD. But many others, they still struggle to take their first step to ask for help, especially in the workplace. I've talked about this briefly in our previous episodes regarding stigma, struggles, etc. And the Dyslexia Association of Singapore actually also told me that while many people with dyslexia are diagnosed in primary school like yourself, it's possible that there are adults who are unaware mm -hmm. they have dyslexia. And the result is then that they assume their experience is the norm and that can make it more difficult for them to achieve their potential. Knowing what it's like to have struggled for a while before speaking up, how would you advise these people who know they need support? And also, how did you overcome that shame? Mm, okay. I think I can definitely relate to thinking that this is the norm and, you know, it can hold you back until you realize it. It took two thirds of my life to realize this. But when I was younger, I was very self-conscious and I was nervous during situations where I might be put on the spot to read. And it definitely impacted my self-esteem and confidence. Mm -hmm. So I think my number one piece of advice is to understand your dyslexia, your ADHD for what it is for you, how you experience it, and then to accept it. Yeah. One of the the best thing that I ever did for myself was when I stopped treating reading as a skill that I could master mm. with more practice. And when I stopped seeing it that way, I saw it as it's like wearing glasses. I wouldn't tell myself that I just need to like 
see harder or I need to squint harder. That's not useful at all. When I saw it that way, that's when I realized it's okay to be different. It's okay to do things differently. And it's okay to do things in a way that works for you. So I think my advice is to kind of find strategies where you can make use of your strengths such that the weaknesses that you cannot change, the physical ones like dyslexia or ADHD, won't matter that much anymore. Mm. And then in the situations where you don't have any workarounds for your strategies, just ask for help. For me, it's to get someone to read or check something. If it's really important, most importantly, tell people about it so that they can accommodate you. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's the most important thing. (laughs) Yeah. When you were talking about working harder (laughs) to read, I think that's also been my main strategy my whole life. So before I knew that I had ADHD and I faced all these struggles, whether it's with procrastination (laughs) or prioritization, just not being able to prioritize the way other people seem to be able to do, (laughs) my strategy was always to tell myself to hide it better. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And the internal message that I had was just that, oh, I think I am struggling with this because I'm not a good enough journalist. Mm -hmm. And I assumed that other people did not struggle with it. I mean, I guess I was right, (laughs) but I also thought that maybe they just hid it better. So the way to be like everyone else is just to hide it better. (laughs) Yeah, that was me. I mean, I think when you don't have a label to Mm -hmm. describe something so ambiguous, (laughs) but also that you know almost permeates every area of your life, right? It's very disorienting because you know something is off or wrong, Mm -hmm. but there is no language to it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been very inspiring talking to you, Puyan. You know how you've come so far from your self-stigma or shame all the way to self-acceptance that you're able even able to speak up and advocate for yourself in the workplace. And I really hope that it gives someone listening the right push that they need. And to you, our listeners, hopefully you've gained as much insight as I did. If you are, like Puyan once was, on a journey to embracing how your brain works, I hope this episode inspires you. Let me know what you think of this series. Leave me a review or a comment on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Much thanks also to the CNA podcast team, Crispina Robert, Jacqueline Chan, Joanne Chan, Saye Win, and Tiffany Ang for going down this rabbit hole with me. I'm Grace Yo, and here is wishing you the courage to embrace your brain on your own terms.